The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Anyway, being in predicament, this morning as we look at the the, uh, Moses and we look at the the children of Israel, uh, as they have moved out of bondage, out of captivity, and they've moved into uh, the... Uh, the desert, you might say, and as we begin to look at this, we find that Moses and uh, Israel found themselves in a predicament. They found themselves between a rock and a hard place, literally, and they're trapped between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. They've moved out to this place, but the message this morning is kind of how they got there and what they need to do. So when we think about being in predicament, how we get there, and what we need to do, and hopefully you won't be like the little nine-year-old boy named Joey. He was asked by his mother what he had learned in Sunday school that morning. Hopefully you won't leave here and talk about our message this way. He said, well, Mom, our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. When he got to the Red Sea, he had his engineers build a portion of a bridge out of pontoons, and all the people walked across safely. Then he used his walkie-talkie radio. Headquarters, he called back and said, send in an airstrike. So they sent in bombers, and they destroyed the bridge, and all the Israelites were saved. His mother said, now, Joy, is that really what your teacher taught you this morning? Well, no, Mom, he said. But if I told it the way the teacher did, you'll never believe it. (laughs) And that's true. After uh, the death angel's appearance, the Passover, we talked about the last couple of weeks, as a result of that, all the firstborn among all of Egypt has died. Pharaoh said, uh, get out. In Exodus 13, 18, it tells us that so God sent the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Pharaoh says out. God sent them around. I want you to know this wording here. By the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in an orderly ranks up out of Egypt. Now Moses tells how God guided the children. Exodus 13:21. And the Lord went before them by day with a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light. So as day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before his people. So the great pillar, it begins to lead these children of Israel. And it's leading them. The pillar took the appearance of like smoke or uh, during the day, if you've ever... Uh, been driving anywhere and there's a fire somewhere and you can see that smoke, can't you, for miles and miles. So, so that picture there is a, is a, a pillar of smoke by day and at night there's a pillar of fire. I remember several years ago and uh, probably 20 plus years ago, uh, we was coming into Cooper and it was foggy and there was a huge fire and m- my mom we were nosy that way. And don't think that y'all are not nosy that way too because if there's ever an accident, you can't even get down the road because people's got scanners and they go to it. But she said, let's go see what's on fire. It's just right yonder. So we started driving and we got to this side of Cooper. And, he, and she says, just right yonder. It's just right over there. And we got to driving and then we got across the lake. She says, just right over there. 
Steve would know where we were going. <laughs> They're burning gas over at Birthright. <laughs> and we drove all the way to Birthright thinking, it's just right there. It's just right there. But that, that pillar of fire, it led us right straight over there to where, where uh, Steve works and some other folks from our community works over there. And, there, and, and that pillar of fire, and that's kind of how they were led according to God's plan. And, and when we begin to look at this, we begin to see God's plan... And my first point is this, God's plans are not always logical. They're, they're not always logical. And in Exodus 14, 1 and 2, God ordered a change of directions the way the Israelites were going. And to the children of Israel, they must have uh, seemed strange to them what's taking place. At best, it was, uh, it was risky and dangerous. Uh, it really didn't make a lot of sense at, at the worst part. But remember, they just went through the Passover. None of that made sense. They had never done that before. But we see here that it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn, in other words, they're going to turn around, and they're going to count between phil ha ha roth Okay? Now, uh, folks, I looked that up. Is Dina here? I looked that up. Fee-hi-ha-roth. That's really the right pronunciation. Give me a hand for that. Thank me for that. Uh, the reason I say that is on Wednesday night, we just go through and we just make up all kinds of names as we read through this Old Testament. And, uh, but I, I wanted to get that, and, and the reason I really looked it up was this, for the meaning. Now, I want you to hear what that Fee-hi-ha-roth means. It means the mouth of freedom. Okay. So, now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they would turn and camp before Phiharoth, the mouth of freedom. That's what it means. And between Migdal, and Migdal means a tower or a high point. Okay, so he says, Go between Phiharoth and Migdal, and that's where I want you to camp, at the sea, opposite of Baal Zephron, and you shall count count before it by the sea. Now, the children of Israel uh, was, in effect, asked to turn around and go back. They've been wandering, or they haven't been wandering, but they've been led. And at some point, God comes to Moses and said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to kind of backtrack. I kind of want you to turn around. You're going to go back this other direction, and I'm going to have you camp out in this certain place, on one side, there's wilderness that you can't get through. On the other side, Migdal is this tower of mountains. Matter of fact, Migdal was considered to be a place, a highest point, and you could go up on this point and you could see all of Egypt. And on the other side, there at, at Philharoth, that they're on that side. Don't be laughing at me, J.C. Vaughn. On that other side... There's an there's a ocean. So God leaves them back to this point and says, here's exactly where I want you to camp at. So they take off. They, they do this. Now listen to this. They're led to this point. This is a key this morning. Not by Moses. They're led to this point not by just coincidence. We're just wandering around in the wilderness and by coincidence we find ourselves at Migdal in the mouth of freedom. We find ourselves there. It wasn't a coincidence. They were led there by God himself. 
Listen to what F.B. Meyer said. He says, often God seems to place his children in positions of profound difficulty, leading them to a wedge from where there is no escape, designing a situation that no human judgment would have permitted had they been previously consulted about it. The very cloud directs them there. You may be involved in a situation like this at this very hour. It does, it does seem perplexing and mysterious to the last degree, but it's perfectly right. You're at the perfect place. The issue will more than justify him who has brought you there. This is the platform for the display of his almighty grace and power. Not only will he deliver you, but in doing so, he will give you a lesson that you'll never forget. That's kind of how that one Bible scholar explained how the children of Israel got to this point. So, so the first thing, God's plans are not always logical. We just need to understand that. Here's the second God, uh, point. God's plans are always made in advance. God always has a plan. We've talked about that for our lives. God always has a plan, and He always has a purpose for us. And, and the Bible says He knew us and saw us before we were even formed. He had a plan for us. So God's plans are always made in advance. God wasn't surprised. He knew how it was going to end before it ever began. Now, now the two things I want us to think about is here are the children of Israel. They're camped. And here's the highest point in Egypt that they can look. And as they look, think about what they could see. As they look towards Egypt, they can see Pharaoh's armies coming. As they look the other direction, they can see the Red Sea. Think about what they must have been thought thinking. If they look the other direction, they can see a wilderness that they can't even trek through. So they're in a part of, of, of God's plan here where it just doesn't make sense God must have messed up, but in verse 3 we're told, For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, uh, the children of Israel, let me mess that up one more time. I, I was laughing, Colton started in the wrong key this morning. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> we laugh about this. They used to have music at the community center, and uh, Zip Kellogg played then. Some of y'all may have been over there and went to that, and his wife also played. I think her name was Wanda, wasn't it? No. Will, I was close, starts with a W. Uh, and uh, there was a bunch of musicians would be on the stage with him. And I played around on the guitar a little bit. And, and uh, some folks, Geneva, usually say, well, bring your guitar up there and play with us. Well, I was getting courage up to do that. Well, uh, uh, Mr. Kellogg would be sitting at the keyboard, and they'd start a song, and he'd just go, somebody's in the wrong key back there, and just keep playing, you know. <laughs> I was not about to bring my guitar up there and play, you know. I don't know, but three keys, so I just had that chance, you know. Uh, so you can holler out, that ain't what the Scripture says. Here's what it says. Not, not Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel. He will say of the children of Israel. In other words, he's talking about them. He's going to say this about the children of Israel. They are bewildered in the land, in the wilderness, it has closed in on them. So God is saying, this is what Pharaoh's going to do. In my mind, this is the picture I get. Pharaoh's had some folks watching the Israelites. And they're in the wilderness, and they're moving around, and all of a sudden, 
They're going the other direction, and they're going back this way, and Pharaoh says, I got them. They're confused. They're lost. They're just wandering around out in the desert. And God said, this is what Pharaoh's going to say. Look at verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. I just wonder why these same Israelites who had just witnessed a miracle of deliverance of God, the the same ones, now they become fearful and they begin to murmur against God. They begin to complain against God in their defense. I think there's some notes that we need to remember. First, remember this, not all who were in that crowd were Israelites. Remember over in Exodus 12, 38, it, it revealed that there was a mixed multitude which came out of Israel. So there were some among them that were not Israelites that, that, that could have started this murmuring, this murmuring against what's taking place. The other thing we need to remember, Israel didn't have the written scriptures like we had. At this point, they didn't have written scriptures, something that they could turn back to in history and see the deliverance of God. They didn't have that ability at that time. Remember, as slaves, they had also always been on the edge of survival. I mean, they had been right there on the edge of survival, and they were easily given to fear. That's what they had lived. So as we look at this, it doesn't say that they were afraid. It says they were very afraid. And I believe that doesn't even do justice to the way they felt, the terror that they must have had within them. Think about what's happening here. They've left Egypt, and they look from that tower, Migdal, and they look across the desert, and they see this vast army marching towards them. And here they are between a rock and a hard place. Here they are, backed up against the sea. Israel's response was given to fear. Listen to what it says in verses 11 12. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Verse 12. Is this not the word that he told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Moses, don't you remember? We said, Leave us here. Just let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we would die in the wilderness. Now let me tell you what the problem is here. Not only did they have a short memory, Israel was afraid because they took their eyes off the Lord and they started looking at the Egyptians. They forgot what God had done and all of a sudden instead of focusing on God's deliverance, They're focusing on the Egyptians. They're focusing on that which is coming towards them. And and they begin to murmur and they begin to cry. They were filled by, they they were ruled by fear rather than truth. Folks, we do that today sometimes. We become ruled by our fears. We begin to look at the circumstances and we take our eyes off of our deliverer. And that's exactly what the children of Israel did. Their, their state would have been better for, uh, you know, I would have rather stayed there. I'd rather died in Egypt. I'd have rather continued to be a slave. And, and that short memory causes them just to forget all about what God is doing. Now, let me tell you this. That's not unique to the Israelites. Listen to this. You remember what David said? In Psalms 106, 7 and 8, it says, Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies. 
but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power known to them. You know, it's interesting to consider that, that Israel had trusted God for their deliverance. Listen. But they didn't trust him in their circumstances. Did you hear that? They trusted him for deliverance. But they didn't trust him for their circumstances. And I got to thinking about our circumstances sometimes. Listen to what 1 Kings 19.4 says. I will perish one day in the hands of Saul. You know who said that? That was David. See, he looked away from God and he began to look at Saul. And he said, one day I'm going to perish. That's in, that's in Psalms. Elijah is over in 1 Kings 19.14. Remember what Elijah, Elijah did? He saw that, that deliverance of God's hand through the, uh, the prophets of Baal. And he ran out into the wilderness. You remember what he did? He sat down and he said, I'd rather die than live. Because Jezebel's chasing me. I mean, he took his eyes off of his deliverer. Elijah hid in the cave and asked God to die. You know what changed? The deliverer didn't change, did it? His circumstances changed. In all of these cases, the circumstances changed. And I want you to think about this. When our circumstances change, when we're diagnosed with some disease where they say there's no cure, when, when we have a more month than we have money, and, and we wonder what we're going to do when we have a child that refuses to, to do right or we have a spouse that rejects us or we lose our job or something changes. And all of a sudden, we have the same God, we have the same deliverer, but we begin to look at the circumstance and take our eyes off of God. I found this Gladys Allward. She was a missionary to China more than 50 years ago. She was forced to flee when Japanese invaded Yan Chang. She was a a missionary for more than 50 years, uh, but she couldn't leave her work behind. With only two assistants, she led more than 100 orphans over the mountains towards free China. In her book, The Hidden Price of Greatness, Ray Bessons and Rachel Marks and some other people, she says this is what happened during Gladys's howling journey out of war-torn Yanqing. She grappled with despair as never before. After passing a sleep, sleepless night, she faced the morning with no hope of reaching safety. A 13-year-old girl, I want you to hear this, in the group reminded her of her much-loved story of Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. Gladys responded, but I am not Moses. She's, the girl said, of course you're not. Listen, but God is still God. Isn't that wisdom? Isn't that wisdom beyond 13 years? No, I'm not Moses, but, but God is still God. When Gladys and the orphans made it through, they proved once again, no matter how inadequate we feel, God is still God, and we should trust in Him. When the situation seems impossible, just remember that we have a personal confidence in God, practice obedience to God, and understand that God has a purpose in all the circumstances we have in Him. 
Here's my third point this morning. God's plans are, are always made in advance. And God's plans do not need our help. Now, I want you to hear that. If you're listening, say, I am. God's plan doesn't need our help. He needs our obedience. God's plan doesn't need our help. It needs our obedience. So God here, he, he answers through Moses the murmuring of the Israelites. And beginning in 13, and Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more forever. And the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Let's talk about those four things real quick. Here's the instructions given that Moses said. We're between a rock and a hard place. Our back's against the wall. We're up the creek without a paddle. What are we going to do? Our circumstances have changed. What am I going to do? God says, fear not. Don't be afraid. He instructed the people, first of all, don't, don't be covered with fear. Remember it said they were very fearful. They were terrified. Fear not. Here's the second thing. Stand still. Now what does that mean? A better translation is probably understood of this. Stand firm. React in faith. Stand firm. If we go and we look in Ephesians chapter 6 and we see the, the armor of God and he says, put on the full armor of God that you might stand firm against the attacks of Satan. He's saying, reflect in faith. Have confidence in your deliverer. Here's the third thing. He says, watch. Just watch. Just, children of Israel, see what the Lord is going to accomplish for you. I, I need your obedience. I don't need your help. I need you to, to, to fear not. I need you to stand firm. And I need you to watch what God is going to do for you in your deliverance. He's going to fight your fight. He's going to fight the battle for you. He's going to help you overcome. If you'll just stay out of the way. Just, just don't try to take it over and say, God, it's not my time and you're, you're way off. Here's what we need to do and here's what I'm going to do. And, and God, if you'll just get out of my way, I'll get it done. God says, wait a minute, you've got it backwards. You need to stop. You need to watch what I'm going to do. And I love this last thing. What does that mean? Keep your peace. You know what it means? Keep silent. Keep silent about what's taking place. That's one of the hardest things for us to do. Sometimes when we have something, we just have to tell somebody about our predicament. We just have to let everybody know, poor, poor, pitiful me. Woe is to me. I'm up against the wall and, and I need to tell... Everybody about what's going on. God says, wait a minute. You need to hold your peace. What were they doing? Remember? They were murmuring. They were complaining. Moses, you've led us out here to be killed. Moses, you got us out here and Pharaoh's after us and we're against the sea and we'd have been better off dying. God says, you know what? Just hold your peace a minute. Just, just be silent a minute. Because I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something in your life and, and I'm going to move forward in your life. All of these instructions are directly related to our human response in panic. Those are all related directly to that fear, moving away from God, wanting to, wanting to, to do our own thing and then telling everybody about it. When we, in, when we are fearful, those are the things we do. 
We act. We, we're going we're gonna to do something. And, and God says, here's my plan. Verse 15 and 16. I love this, folks. Do you know it tells us in the Bible, quit praying? Did y'all know it said that? Right here. Listen to what God says. Why are you crying to me? Tell the children of Israel, go forward. Verse 16, lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel will go on dry land through the midst of the sea. Literally, God told Moses, okay, Moses, stop praying and start moving. Moses, why are you still crying out to me? Look, I just told you, I'm going to deliver Pharaoh to you. I'm going to show you some things today that you'll remember the rest of your life. Remember, we just read that. He just said, Pharaoh's army is coming. You may stand on the tower and see them coming, but you'll never see them after today. We're still praying. Well, God, when are you going to move? God said, I'm not going to move. You need to move. Get after it. Move out among the Red Sea. There's a time for praying, but when we get directions, we need to stop praying and put it into action. You know what we do sometimes? I can't say you do. You know what I do sometimes? I'm praying, God, this is what I need. This is where I want to go. I get God's answer. And I'm kind of like that guy that fell off that cliff, and he's holding on to that root, and he goes, anybody there? Is anybody there? And finally, somebody says, let go. I've got you. Y'all heard this, haven't you? He goes, who is this? And he says, this is God. Let go. I've got you. And he says, anybody else up there? <laughs> That's kind of how I pray sometimes. Hey, I'm not satisfied with that, God. I'm not pleased with your answer, so I'm just going to keep praying. And that's what the children of Israel did. And God said, hey, why are you crying to me? Move forward, Moses, stretch out your rod, and the sea is going to divide, and the Israelites will go through on dry land. The Bible doesn't say this, but I believe... This is me, okay? Get that straight. I believe they had to step in some water before that sea started to divide. I think they had to make a step of faith. I think they had to begin to move out. Stop praying to me. I've given you the answer. Stretch out your rod and have the children move forward. And at that point, the sea opens up. Here's my last point this morning. God's plans are not limited to what is humanly possible. His plans are not limited to what's humanly possible. Verse 21 and 22. <coughs> excuse me. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to divide back with a strong east wind all that night. And he made the sea into dry land. And the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. And the waters were a, listen, wall to them on the right, and a wall to them on their left. The reason I put an emphasis on that, people today, some try to explain away what took place during the crossing of the Red Sea. Some people, or a popular view is this, that the Israelites were in a different place than this. And they were actually at the reeds of the sea instead of the Red Sea, and it was just a marsh. It was just kind of a muddy marsh. And, and as a natural act of a strong wind, it was dry, dried out and, and they were able to cross. 
the problem with this, number one, that's not what God's Word says. That's number one. Number two, how would a vast army drown in a shallow marsh? It doesn't make sense, does it? So, so we can, we can begin to, to see that, that that theory falls apart. If it was a dry marsh, how would there be a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left? When we read what God has done, He parted the Red Sea and the children of Israel crossed through on dry land. Just think about how wide the area had to be for this crossing. I found some stuff. It, it was called, it's called Fabulous Facts and Figures. Theodore Epp wrote it. There's three and a half million Israelites traveling right now. I can't even fathom three and a half million people in a crowd. I mean, y'all may have went to Woodstock. I don't know. I don't know how many was there, but I wasn't around then. But uh, I guess I was, but I wasn't old enough to go. But three and a half million people to go through the sea double file, it would be a line 800 miles long, okay? If they were going to cross double file, it would be 800 miles long, and it would take 35 days and nights, 24 hours a day for 35 days for them to cross. For three and a half million people to cross in 25, in, in one day, uh, the, the Red Sea had to be three miles wide. Now, I'm guessing, but I'm, I'm going to say the Charleston stores is three miles up here. Now, when you leave here, if you measure it, you're going to go that way a little ways. But as the crow flies, it may be a little bit farther. If you know where I live, I, I live three and a half miles from here, but the road winds around. So just measure that off sometimes, three and a half miles wide. And, and this three and a half miles wide, walking 5,000 abreast, <laughs> that's what it would take. It would take an opening three and a half miles wide, 5,000 abreast to get through in that one day. You know what I believe? I believe that's what it was. Because that's what the Bible says it was. So the children of Israel, they experienced something that's it's hard for us to even fathom. That many... Thousands of people crossing the Red Sea. Here's the conclusion of the story. And the Egyptians pursued after them and went into the midst of the sea. All of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Verse 24. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire in the cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. He took off the wheels of the chariots so that they drove them directly with difficulty, and the Egyptians said, let us free from the face of Israel. What he says is he, he, they started having car trouble. You know, their, their chariots started breaking down, their horses started getting scared and, and bucking, and they, they were having difficulty controlling them and moving them around, and, and they said, hey, let's, let's get out of here. Let us free from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights against them, against the Egyptians, verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch your hand out over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon all their horsemen. Then Moses stretched his hand out over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, which wasn't three or four inches. It returned to its full depth. 
while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right and a a wall on their left. So the Lord served Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. What I want to see this morning as we close is this. Coming to the Red Sea, coming to that that part of being against the wall was as much a part of God's plan as them crossing. That was the biggest part of his plan. Folks, sometimes for us, we, we get into predicament, and, and we, we just say, God, why am I here? And I think that's okay. I think it's okay to pray, God, why, why am I in this situation? God, what am, I, what am I to learn through this situation? But remember this, a, ter- a predicament in God's hand... It's just a path to the promised land. That's what it is. It's a path for him to give us deliverance. It's a, pla- it's a path for him to do something in our life that we could never imagine upon our own. You think the children of Israel ever imagined that this was fixing to happen? As Moses stood before them and said, You know what? Those soldiers you see coming after today, you'll never see them again. You know, they couldn't imagine that. You think they could imagine... Three and a half mile wide road of dry land through the Red Sea. They couldn't imagine that. But their predicament simply led to the promised land where God had said, this is where I want you to be and this is my plan for you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Why does God allow us predicaments? Why do we get in predicaments in our life? Not always. Sometimes it's our own choosing. Sometimes we rebel against God and, and we just decide, I'm going this way. But when we're walking with the Lord, and I think that's when it really trips us up. When we're, we're walking with the Lord and we're trying our best to serve Him and we're, we're doing all we know to do to be faithful to Him and then things don't go the way we think they should or obviously the way they should. And we say, why, God, am I here? Why have you got me in this predicament? I think sometimes it's because during those tight places, that's when we look to God for our help. We've tried our own. We've done it our own power, our own way, our own ideas, our own thoughts. But in that tight place, we finally, we, we just look to God for our help. I'm going to close with this. Charles Swindoll, I'm sure most of you here have heard of him. He said, it may be that you have developed a rather materialistic lifestyle. Like Moses and the children of Israel, you've rubbed shoulders with folks in Egypt most of your life. You work with the Egyptians. You think like the Egyptians. You read Egyptian newspaper. You listen to Egyptian music. Do commercial battles with Egyptian entrepreneurs. You're in the competitive world of the Egyptians. 
So it's only natural that you would respond like them. Folks, the Bible tells us this. If we're children of God, he has separated us from the world. Remember his plans, they, they, don't, they don't make sense sometimes, humanly speaking. But remember this, he has a plan for us. His plans that we would prosper and would not fail. Christ said, I came that you'd have life, that you'd have it more abundant. I'm not saying we won't have some difficult times. Boy, Moses was right in the center of God's will, but look what they had to deal with. Throughout Moses' life, as the children of Israel move into that desert, as they move towards that promised land, they have struggles with obedience, and they have struggles with following God. But God has a plan, and His ways are always perfect. This morning, we're going to have just a short time of invitation. I want to invite you to, uh, however the Lord would lead you, if you'd like to come and pray. If you'd just like to... Just, just lift up your prayer where you're at. Lord, what do I need to be and what I need to be doing right now? I want to ask you to do this one thing. Would you take your eyes off your circumstances and would you look towards the Savior? Sometimes we get off on the wrong road and we take the wrong exit and we end up some dead-end alley somewhere thinking, how do I get here? But you know what? The Father says, wait a minute, I've got his covered. Father, I pray this morning as we consider you and we consider your word, I pray, Father, that you would lead us to the point we need to be, where we need to be spiritually. If we're, if we're crossing that difficult time to the promised land, Lord, I pray that we would see you leading us, Father. If we're up against the wall... We don't know which way to turn. I pray that we would turn to you and that we would put our eyes upon you, the author and perfecter of our faith, and that we would surrender you. Father, I pray if we have doubts and we have, uh, we have wonderings, Lord, we wouldn't be scared to come to you and just pour our grievances against you, Father, and say, what are these and why am I here and, and what am I to learn? But, Father, I pray that when you give us that answer, that we would put ourselves and put our feet into motion and we would walk with you in faith. However you would lead us this morning, I pray, Father, that we would come to you in obedience. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.